Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 8. The Spirit of the, of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the, of the Lord that may be glorified, that shall be build up the ancient ruins, and they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreign, foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and the glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion, that they, that they shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Thank you, Connor. Outer room, you might have to skip a couple slides if I if I copied and pasted those in there wrong. We'll see. If not, you'll just have to follow along. Just use the podium mic. All right. Are you able to hear me all right? Okay. How are we doing this morning, church? I'm good. Thanks for asking. I have to say I'm pretty excited about our message this morning. My hope is that when we're done, we'll have a better appreciation for the Holy Spirit We'll have a better appreciation for the needs of others, and we'll have a better appreciation for our role in the church. You know, I love our mission statement. It's so simple, yet it's so profound. Would you say it with me this morning? Share Jesus, serve others. It needs to be said that this mission statement is by no means more important than God's word, this is just how our leadership has decided that we are going to prioritize our ministries, our efforts as a body of Christ. And when we are weighing where we're going to put our abilities, where we're going to put our time and our money, we're asking the question, how, how does X help us share Jesus, serve others? As we'll see in a few moments, the apostles address a similar issue in the book of Acts in their leadership of the early church. 
Now, there are certainly other things that could be added to this mission statement, like share Jesus, serve others, love God, or maybe grow together, or maybe even follow Jesus. That's, that's pretty important, right? But if you think about it, if, if we're really going to share Jesus well, we need to love God, and we need to be followers of Jesus ourselves. And if we're going to serve others well, we certainly need to love God, and we'll grow together in the process. Share Jesus, serve others is not all-encompassing, but it includes so much more, yet it's, it's so simple. I, I do fear, though, that sometimes we can struggle as a church, not just at Spring Road, but Christians everywhere, trying to appropriately handle these two issues, sharing Jesus serving others. Based on how we prioritize our own, uh, our, uh, our, our own relationship with God, we can add different prepositions to this mission. Maybe we might say share Jesus or serve others. Like it's one or the other. Christians can be all in on one but completely neglect the other. All service-oriented but with no attempt to serve in the name of Jesus. Just like another humanitarian group. Or maybe all evangelism and no mindfulness to love and to care for our neighbors and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe we might say share Jesus I serving others. This one doesn't seem as bad, but if our only motivation behind serving other people is to get a foot in the door, then maybe we need to reevaluate how much we really care for other people. I'm sure there are a number of ways that we could mishandle this responsibility, but I think the most effective way that we can share Jesus, serve others, is to add a conjunction there in the middle. Share Jesus and serve others. Both and together equal dual responsibilities. But how can we as a church effectively do both? In Acts chapter 6, the apostles are faced with a dilemma. Are they going to serve others or are they going to share Jesus? Ultimately, the decision that's made shows that if Christians are working together, we will be able and should be able to do both well. But we have to be intentional about it. It doesn't happen accidentally. Last week, Tom brought us to Acts, and we began a new series where we're asking this question, who needs to know a good news? If you remember back in January, we kicked off our year by studying what it means to be a witness. Not just what it means, to witness to someone as, as to preach or to share the good news, but what it means to be a witness. We talked about how in the court of law, a witness is someone who has seen something worth sharing, and they have a responsibility to share that. And what we recognize is that if we are Christians, that we certainly have seen something worth sharing. We have seen Jesus. We have seen what he's done for our lives, and we've seen what he's doing in this world. And since we've seen the truth, since we are witnesses of the truth, we have a responsibility to do something about it. Now the question 
we have this morning is who do we need to share it with? Or maybe a better way to ask that would be who still needs to see Jesus? As Tom demonstrated for us last week, one of the primary groups of people that need to see Jesus are the ones that oppose us, right? In Acts 5, the apostles were arrested, but an angel releases them from prison. And what do they do with this newfound freedom? They return to the temple and continue to share Jesus with the people who arrested them. The people who oppose us need to know Jesus They might know about Jesus, but do they really know Jesus? And maybe if they knew Jesus, they would stop persecuting Jesus, like Saul when he was was converted on the road to Damascus. He met Jesus. His life changed. I encourage you to go back and listen to Tom's message last week. This morning, I want to present another group of people who need to see Jesus. You see, people don't just need to see Jesus so they can be saved from their sins. Don't get me wrong. That's incredibly important. It's life-saving information. But there are people who might already know Jesus, and maybe people who don't, who still need to be saved from the pain that exists in this world. And they need to see Jesus. And that's where you and I come in. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. I don't know if we'll have slides this morning, so hopefully you can follow along in your Bibles. As we continue to survey the early church, starting in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man, of, a man full of faith and a man full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Icaner and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These men they set before the apostles, and they prayed their uh, prayed and laid their hands on them. You see what happened here? A group of Hellenists. So these would be Greek-speaking Jews. So non-Christian, non-Jewish. Jews. These are Greek-speaking Jews are complaining that their widows are being ignored among the larger group of Aramaic-speaking Jews. So these would be the native Jews. A subgroup of Jews is being ignored and forgotten by Jews when it comes to charitable meals and to giving. And it doesn't seem that this neglect is intentional, but the native Jews just don't see the need or maybe they see it and they, and they don't think it's their responsibility. Somebody else will help, help those people. The response of the apostles, the non-Jewish Christians, the response of the apostles to this need, this external need, is going to be our focus this morning. 
When the twelve see this need that exists outside their brotherhood, they recognize two things. The first is that they have a responsibility to serve others. The second thing is that they can't stop sharing Jesus. Their solution, which, which might seem obvious to you and to, and to me, is how the Church of Christ has tried to function as we've tried to model the early church. Their solution is to work together as a body of Christ to do both. Those who are called to teach continue to teach. And those who are able to serve are equipped to serve. But they see the need to do both and to intentionally do both with a purpose. We're going to come back to that word intentionally later. But there's certainly going to be overlap in how we're sharing Jesus and how we're serving others, but this is certainly how we're trying to approach our ministries at Spring Road. Let's keep reading and see what happens because of their dual commitment to teach and to serve. Picking back up in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing wonders and signs among the people. Then some, who, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicily and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand a wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen, as were others, are perfect examples that God's word can and should be shared in service to others. Because if we are living as a witness, then all things, all of our life, all of our lived experience can be opportunities for us to share what we've seen. This is a common theme among the early church when Christians are seeing the external need around them they are doing things about it, like seeing the needs of other groups or by responding to the evil living in their city. One example is the widespread practice of abortion in the early church. Christians were vocal to speak out against it, but more importantly, they were eager to defend children as they were left in the desert to be killed by the elements. Christians were responding to the needs outside of their group. Christians were also responding to internal needs, like their commitment to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ, as we read earlier in the book of Acts. When Christians see a need and, compelled, and are compelled to do something about it, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. This willingness, this Awareness of the needs around them is driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we've seen, the Holy Spirit's active when they're gathered together in places like Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and chapter 5, verse 12. We've also seen the results of the Spirit at work through the lives of the believers, like here with Stephen, as he is serving these widows. And the Holy Spirit's working through him to do many signs and wonders, and people are coming to know Jesus because of that. 
Uh, before we go any further with Acts chapter 6 and the apostles' response to the needy, I want to take a step back and look at what the power of the Holy Spirit intends to do. What is the Holy Spirit doing? How did Jesus understand the Spirit to be at work? And what about the prophets in the Old Testament? How did they expect the Spirit to function? First, I want to look at how Jesus understood the Spirit. One of the first things that Jesus does in his earthly ministry, and, and you can find this in Luke chapter 4, is he goes to the temple. And when it's his turn to present a reading from Scripture, he proclaims this from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are opposed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord was definitely on Jesus as he was the Son of God, but for what purpose? To proclaim good news to the poor, to be a witness, to be an advocate for the needy, to we could summarize, share Jesus and serve others. The power of the Spirit was at work in Jesus to make things right in this world. And we can see a full picture of what this looks like focusing on what he, uh, uh, he quotes in Luke chapter 4 and what was read from us earlier, Isaiah 61. I want to look at how the Holy Spirit is highlighted in Isaiah 61 because it's incredibly important for Christians to understand if we hope to be a faithful witness of the gospel. When we consider as a whole what it meant to be an Israelite during the time of the Old Testament, it meant that they were God's people. And this had a great uh, a great amount of implications, like they would have no other gods before Yahweh, but it also meant that they would not live like other nations. They would not act like other nations. They would not look like other nations. And this meant that especially once Israelites had arrived in the promised land, the land of Canaan, they were going to rely on God for all things. This included protection and security, but also for economic and ag agricultural success. In other words, God brought you to the promised land, and now God's going to provide for you in the promised land. All people would be fed, all people would be protected, and all people would even own their own property. That's a really important uh, issue right now. The reason it's important that we know this is that almost as soon as the Israelites arrive in Canaan, they begin to look like other nations, specifically when it came to their economy. The wealthy among the Israelites immediately began to oppress the poor, and the wealthy began to buy up all the land from the poor families, and the wealthy began to force the poor to work for them as a type of servant. The wealthy Israelites' lives got easier, while the poor Israelites' lives got harder. And the wealthy began to hoard their abundance from God, and the poor people are forced to work as servants for just enough. And even though they're living in their own land, 
Because of the evil of others and often things that are out of their control, the poor Israelites are living in the promised land, and they're exhausted, and they're mourning, and they're in need. And not only are the poor Israelites struggling and in need, but the wealthy are also making life hard on the foreigners, on the outsiders. It is abundantly clear that the Spirit of the Lord is not present in the hearts of these Israelites. That's where Isaiah 61 comes in. In Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is promised to set all of these and other corrupt systems right. And this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, as was read earlier, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to comfort those who are in mourning with oil of gladness and with garments of praise. The Spirit of the Lord is going to make things right for the Israelites. This is the Spirit of the Lord that was promised to the Israelites. This is the Spirit of the Lord that was at work in the life of Jesus and in his resurrection. It's the, Spirit of the, it's the Holy Spirit that was at work in the early Christians and the early church. Praise be to God, it's the same Holy Spirit that's at work in lives of Christians who are living right now. With this vision of the Spirit in mind, I want to return to Acts chapter 6 and look again at the Christian's response to the needy. What does a Spirit-led people actually do? What is their responsibility as a witness of the truth? There are three things I want to point out in Acts chapter 6 before we conclude this morning. It might be easy to notice all the big movements of the Holy Spirit in Acts, like the, all, the, all the healings that took place and, and the tongues of fire. But even more importantly, the Holy Spirit is moving through Christians to do exactly what it is declared in, Acts, or in Isaiah 61. Exactly what Jesus came to do on this earth to make things right. The promise to us is that if we've been baptized, the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us, Acts chapter 2. But here's what that means for you and for me. First, the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us to notice those who are in need. Think about a complaint from the Hellenists. These are non-Christian, non-Jewish Jews. And... And before the needy can see and experience the love of Jesus, someone has to see it, and someone has to respond to it. The church is in need of people who are going to do both. See needs and respond. We need people who are willing to recognize and identify the people in their life, whether Christian or non-Christian, who are in need. But we also need people who have hearts to meet those needs. Who is someone in your life, in your circle, in your community, who is in physical need right now? We have people who are willing to serve them, who are willing to clothe them, who are willing to feed them. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us to make things right. 
The second thing that the Spirit-led people are doing is the power of the Holy Spirit encourages us to prioritize preaching God's Word. Think about the Apostles' response and even what's declared in Isaiah 61. Yes, the Spirit was working right in this world like Jesus was doing, but it's also at work to bring the gospel to the poor, as it says in Isaiah 61. Christians and non-Christians alike are in need of the good news that Jesus has come. We can not only meet people's physical needs, but what we're certainly called to do, but we need to be meeting people's spiritual needs as well. And just like this church is in need of people who are going to see and meet the physical needs of the people in our world, we certainly need people who are going to see and meet the spiritual needs of the people in our lives as well. Who is someone in your life, in your community, in your circle, who is in spiritual need right now? Maybe they're already a Christian, and maybe they're not, and maybe it's you. We have people at this church who are willing to pray with them, who are willing to pray for them, who are willing to mentor them, who are willing to study with them, to comfort them, and to mourn with them. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us to make things right. The third thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in Acts chapter 6 is the power of the Holy Spirit whips to live as a witness. Stephen is this perfect example of what our mission statement is trying to demonstrate. Christians have a responsibility to live as a witness because of what we've seen in Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, our lives must be directed at sharing Jesus and serving others. These two things are meant to shape the way that our church is trying to function, but ideally it would shape the way that your life is also functioning. We all have different opportunities to fulfill this mission in our, in our lives. We have different jobs and we have different hobbies. We eat at different favorite restaurants. I'm probably at Chick-fil-A. We all have different lives. We all have different lives, and in our lives, we are all encountering people who need to see Jesus. The responsibility is on us to show them, especially those who are in need. Well, last week, Tom led us through Acts chapter 5, which includes the second imprisonment of the apostles by the Jewish leaders. And I want to briefly revisit one verse in Acts 5 because I think it gives us a good idea of what it looks like to show Jesus to people in our lives. I know there are people in your life who are in real spiritual and physical need right now. And we need to be intentional to do something about it. After the angel comes and releases the apostles out of prison in Acts chapter 5, and the apostles return to the temple to again continue preaching the word, the Jews accuse them of doing something that I think is incredibly powerful for you and for me. Acts chapter 5, verse 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. 
And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Filling Jerusalem with their teaching with the intent to bring Jesus' blood on them. You've probably heard of crimes of intent, you know, where you can be charged for breaking the law if you intended to do something wrong. Have you ever heard of sharing the gospel with the intent to convert? The, the Holy Spirit is at work in us not just to share the gospel, but to live as a witness, to use our lives with the intent to bring Jesus' blood to other people. Sadly, there are many Christians who are not keeping with this responsibility. Sure, they are living good lives, they are friendly, and they are kind, but there's no intent to share Jesus and to serve others in their communities. There's no intent to make the world right around them. There are people in our world who are in need, who need to see Jesus. There are people who need to know that this world is not all that there is. And there are even Christians who need to be reminded that they are loved. If you are not a Christian this morning, then it is my intent to bring Jesus' blood to you. If you have not been baptized, you still bear the weight of your sins, but you are also living a life without the gift of the Holy Spirit that is actively working to make things right in this world. We would love to study with you, and we would love to lower you in the waters of baptism for you to rise as a new creation. If you already are a Christian, are you in need this morning? Do you need to be reminded, encouraged, comforted, prayed for? Do you need to recommit your life to be obedient to the Holy Spirit? I asked you two questions earlier. Who is someone in your community, in your, your world, who needs to see Jesus because of spiritual or physical need? I encourage you to think about that this week. Because the Holy Spirit is at work in us to see the needs around us and to do something about it. If you have a need right now, I encourage you to come as we stand and as we sing.